are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I'm the lead pastor here and I am so excited that you carved out some time in your schedule to study the Word of God alongside us. We are starting a brand new series. So if you're new to the Pines Church or if you've been following us for a while, um, this is a great place to jump on and we're titling the series the f word obviously uh that's you know uh controversial and it grabs your attention but it's the one f word that we need to see a whole lot more of in the church and in our culture and judgment begins in the house of the lord in other words we need to be the ones leading by example in order to be able to influence culture and so i'll just cut right to the chase the f word um is forgiveness forgiveness is the central theme of the gospel it's because of forgiveness that we have access and unbroken fellowship with the lord as we repent of our sins he forgives us and the bible says that our sin is as far as the east is to the west he cannot remember it now the enemy remembers and he's, he's, he's labeled in scripture as an accuser of the brethren. So he'll constantly be bringing these accusations and these sins back in front of you. But when you confess and repent before the Lord, you must understand that they are gone. They are no more. Yes, there are consequences for our decisions, but our sins have been eradicated by the blood of Jesus. And that is worth celebrating for all of eternity. And so because God has forgiven us, we should be free to forgive others. But if we're honest, we struggle with that sometimes. And I think we can forgive maybe somebody cutting us off in traffic, although I've been in some cars where people have, takes them a while to get over that. Um, and they'll lose their salvation for a second there. But, um, we, but there, are, there are things that happen to us that sometimes take time uh, that really, really hurt us and we withhold uh, forgiveness. And so we're gonna be talking about this subject, how Christians should be leading the way in forgiving others. And so to start this series off, I wanna just define that word. And also I wanna say, we're gonna be taking our time going through this. So we're gonna be looking at it from different angles. We're gonna focus on a particular angle today. And then next week, we're gonna be focusing on a different angle. So we're gonna do a deep dive into this subject so you can walk away fully equipped with a good base knowledge and understanding of what forgiveness means for you. So let's define the word forgiveness. It's defined as to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense or a mistake. Now, looking at, we probably pop that definition up on the screen, looking at that definition, it highlights two potential reasons for harboring unforgiveness, for not giving forgiveness, or for harboring an offense. And I'm going to break those down. Number one, people who have been genuinely mistreated, okay? And then people who think they've been mistreated, i.e. the mistake. 
So we hold back forgiveness but when somebody simply made a mistake. So we think that we've been mistreated, but in reality, if we were to t take a step back, okay, there was just a fumble and we should be able to, to move on from that. Okay, we're not gonna talk about people who think they've been mistreated today. We're gonna talk about people that have been like really hurt. Okay, because there are things that people have done over the course of your life, maybe in your family, maybe in your school, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your friend, pool that have sincerely and genuinely hurt and wounded you. And as a result, as a result, instead of offering forgiveness, you have built an offense. And so we're going to focus on that today because the Bible warns us in Matthew 24:10, then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. So there's a progression there. We become offended. So, you know, you've hurt me. You've wounded me. You've genuinely mistreated me. And so instead of going down the road of forgiveness, we pick up the rock of offense. And then the Bible tells us that that will turn into a betrayal. So in other words, you're going to do everything in your power to avoid them. But then if you're not careful, you're also going to, it's going to spill over into your language and you're going to betray them, and ultimately that will lead towards hating your brother. So someone you did life alongside because they stepped out, maybe lashed out in anger, maybe said something that was harsh, maybe even physically abused you, okay, and you picked up this offense, it will lead towards hatred if you don't shed the offense or if you don't offer forgiveness. So that's a progression that none of us want to find ourselves in. And nobody wakes up in the morning looking at who am I going to hate today? Although sometimes when I read social media, I think people may wake up like that. But I, I genuinely believe that people don't want to wake up like that. But there are things that happen because they lack the tools and the understanding. They end up falling for this deception and they, bike and they take it in hook, line, and sinker every single time. Matthew 24, 12 through 13 says this, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I think you can take a look at our culture and see that lawlessness is abounding. In all of our major cities, even in rural America, there is a lawless problem. More people are breaking the law than ever before. Um, and you see this even spill into the home. There is no honor or respect for the, the family, family unit or for parents, there's a complete breakdown of morality in regards to this subject. And so lawlessness is abounding. And as a result, the love of many is, is growing cold. Let me give you an example. It seems like um, every time you turn on your television, there is a mass shooting. There is lawlessness all across our land. I've had the privilege of being able to travel to other nations, and this is extremely concerning to everybody out there. And we as Americans just simply almost expect to hear about another shooting, and we grow numb. I remember the first major shooting. Um, there may have been one before that, but Columbine. You know, and I think a lot of pundits will talk about that was the kind of the, the catalyst where it grabbed the nation's attention. It felt like the wor world stood still. It was almost like a mini 9-11 and uh, the world stood still. How can this happen? Everybody, what can we do? How did this happen? And now it, there were, you know, we're coming out of the 4th of July weekend and, and there were multiple mass shootings. And it's almost like there's this 
our love has grown cold and we're like, this is just the way it's going to be. There's nothing we can do about it and we change the channel. So the Bible is literally warning us that there's going to come a day where lawlessness will abound. We're here and the love of many will grow cold. We are here. But as Christians and believers, we are to push against the culture, to be counterculture and to lead by example. So let this not be said of the church. This is why we study scripture so that we're not deceived, so that we're on our toes. We have discernment to be able to see the attack of the enemy because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities that are pushing this agenda in this narrative that people are taking in. But as believers, we are wise as serpents and we can see so that we don't fall under that deception. Luke 17, 1, out of the mouth of Jesus himself, he said, it is impossible that no offenses should come. So Jesus is telling us, scripture is telling us, God is telling us, warning us, yes, the Bible has warnings and we would be wise to heed them, that there is coming a time where deception is going to darken the eyes of our world. And the love of many is going to grow cold. So don't fall under that deception. Have discernment. And so you may ask, well, what does, offend, what does being offended look like? Okay, what, what does that look like? And to illustrate that, we have a video that we're, we're going to share. So just stick with us. We're going to show that video and then I'm going to pop on right after that. Okay, funny video, right? Um, it's almost like a caricature of someone that is wrestling with offense. But it also paints the picture that when you become offended, it affects everybody inside of your sphere. It affects your coworkers. It affects your wife or your husband, your children. Okay, so to think that, well, I'm just going to harbor this unforgiveness. I'm going to harbor this offense towards one individual. And the, the idea that it has, it's not going to influence anyone else is completely wrong. It's rotting you from the inside out. And eventually it will begin to poison all of your relationships and taint the way that you see the world. And it's interesting to me as you study scripture, and, and you'll find this to be true even in your own life, it's the people that are closest to us that have the, the, the greatest impact of our opportunity of offending us. And it's because they are close to us. So when they say something or do something, it hurts worse than if somebody cuts us off and flips the bird to us. Well, I don't know that guy. I may be upset in the moment, but I'm not thinking about it later that night. I can't believe that guy cut me off and flipped me off. Like, you're just like, whatever. I'll never see that guy again. But my brother or my sister that I'm doing life with like every single day and I got to see again, all right, I have a different expectation for them. And so when they don't meet that expectation, all of a sudden my feelings are hurt or, or, or their words sting because I do put weight into what they have to say. The Bible defines it like this in Psalm 52, 12. Uh, it says this, it's not an enemy who taunts me for I could bear that. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, my very close friend. What good fellowship we enjoyed as we walked together in the house 
of God. You know what David is laying out for us? That often the people that have the biggest uh, opportunity to offend us are our brothers and sisters in church are the people that we're worshiping God alongside. And so we have to have discernment because if we don't, we'll become offended and it'll spread like leaven, like a cancerous disease disease throughout the body. And so we must say that it stops with us. See, Proverbs 18, 19 takes it up to another level. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Okay, strong city, if you think about it in the context of when this was written, a strong city had walls. So it was like a castle, like with a moat, kind of think of it like that. And what those walls were meant to do is to keep people out. So it was a strong city. It was a protected city because people couldn't get, just gain access to it. An offended person is someone who puts up these walls and keeps everyone at bay. And what, what happens is that offense begins to fester and begins to to really kind of take over um, the person. I always think of Pink Floyd, The Wall, for those of you that are rocking back in the 70s and 80s, which essentially was he had this father wound, losing his father in the war, and as a result, he built up this wall, not allowing anyone in, and eventually it ended up coming tumbling down. But that's what we do when something happens to us that hurts us and wounds us, rather than facing it, and embracing it and walking through it, taking on the pain, trying to find a purpose in the midst of that and seeing that God is with you in the midst of being mistreated. We just completely shut it off. We put up a wall and we never deal with it. But the issue is it never goes away. And God cannot heal what you conceal. So when we hide those things, we think we may be clever and finding a quick route to get around it, but ultimately it's going to lead to our detriment. So we struggle with this because, and a lot of times we struggle with it, we compartmentalize it, we hide it, we conceal it because we don't want to offer forgiveness because it's too hard for us to look at what they've done to us as if if I forgive them, then they're getting away with it. Or I'm saying that it's okay. When nothing could be further from the truth. Forgiveness isn't even for them. Forgiveness is for you in being able to release that toxic thought pattern and that cancerous belief in letting it go so they no longer have power or control over you. And so the disciples, when they were with Jesus, they were wrestling with this concept, okay? They had been conquered by Rome, so they were under Roman rule. Remember, when they were looking for the Messiah, they were looking for somebody that was going to come and overthrow Rome and give them land back. And so that's kind of the way that they were thinking. They, were, they had this animosity towards Rome, and so they wanted to, you know, take back. And so they were, you know, they had this, they were wrestling with this concept of forgiveness. Well, And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, like like Jesus, I know you're saying forgive people. And I know you're saying be aware uh, of offense. But if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? Is that good enough, Jesus? And you know he picked a number higher. He He was trying to look pious. He was trying to get like 
Jesus to say, good job, Peter. Yes, seven times. I was going to say five, but you said seven. Great job. And so he went above. You know what I mean? In Peter's mind. So even Peter, there's a limit. Like, surely even Jesus, the son of the living God, is going to say, okay, there's no way you got to forgive a guy eight times. If he comes back at you eight times and sinning against you, then you have the right to sock him in the mouth or whatever. So that's what Peter's thinking. And Jesus' response to him says, no, not, not seven times, but, seven, but 70 times seven. So Jesus is busting out a little arithmetic, a little uh, multiplication here. And so he says 70 times seven. And sometimes people get hung up on that. Like, why did Jesus say 70 times seven? And people try to get into the math and figure out. But essentially, seven times seven is 490. Thank you, Mrs. Klassen, fourth grade teacher, for teaching me multiplication. Okay, 490 times. I want you to think about in a given day. Okay, in, in a given day, if you were to sin against me 490 times in one day, that means you would have to sin against me, keep coming at me. Let's just say you're punching me, okay? You'd have to punch me every two and a half minutes considering that we didn't go to the bathroom, we didn't sleep, and we didn't eat anything. It's just every two and a half minutes, every two, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Okay, I, I've been around a lot of sinners and even the best of the sinners couldn't keep that up. Okay, so Jesus is making the point is that there is no end. You keep on forgiving. You keep on offering forgiveness. And again, it isn't condoning what the person sinning against you is doing. It's to keep your heart pure towards your brother. The Bible warns us that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer and don't even think that you carry eternal life. What a sobering words. What sobering words. We have to be vigilant and careful that we don't allow bitterness and offense to take root inside of our hearts. But you say, now, how the heck am I supposed to forgive somebody when all they do is slander me, when all they do is talk behind my back and I've asked them to stop and I've forgiven them maybe a hundred times and they continue to do it. And to that, I would say this, that a person that can't forgive, even if the limit's a hundred or whether it's 500 or whether it's five, a person that can't forgive is a person that's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. We must understand, and this doesn't get taught a lot in, scripture, in, in church, unfortunately, but that every single one of us deserved hell. That is what we deserve. We are born in sin and we deserved hell. And in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our selfishness, God looked down and sent his son to make a way that we could be in relationship with him. And we have the opportunity to confess and repent of our sin and God will forgive us and wipe the slate clean. And so although we deserve this, God paid the penalty for us. And so we must always come back to that place because it shapes the way that we see our fellow brothers and sisters and it helps us to be able to forgive what seems like the unforgivable. See, the Bible tells us in um, Acts 24, 16, herein do I exercise myself to have a, always a, a conscience void of offense 
get this, towards God and towards men. So he's telling us we have to exercise ourselves to have a clear conscience so that we don't get offended with man and we don't get offended with God. Because if we're honest, sometimes, especially for believers, when things don't go their way, they get offended with God. They get upset with God. And that will put a wall, you know, of you being able to hear from God because of all that bitterness and all of that anger and all of those lies circulating around in your mind. You must be vigilant against those things. So we need to put forgiveness into practice. We need to exercise forgiveness. I'm going to give you an example. So uh, 15 years ago, we were playing, uh, you know, pickup football game. And I was a quarterback, and I, I don't know what I did. I, I, I moved at a certain angle. I'm getting older. And I, what felt like I tore my rotator cuff. Um, I couldn't lift my shoulder like this. If anybody's ever struggled with that, oh, my gosh. I couldn't lift my shoulder like this. And um, it was really, really, really bad. And so I went, and, and I went to the doctor, did an MRI. And if I, it turns out I actually didn't even tear my rotator cuff. Okay? I... I frayed it. So there were some that were torn, but it wasn't all of it. But it was enough that I had to go through uh, physical therapy and rehabilitation because I could barely lift my my arm. I mean, it's like a real thing. Like I'm talking about picking up like groceries or even just my arm by itself. So what I had to do is go through these exercises. And I remember the exercises. I had to grab like a, a broomstick and I had to go like this and then I had to go like this. And that caused so much pain. A broomstick that, that weighs one pound. Okay, I was working out in the gym, benching 225, whatever. I'm not trying to brag, but I mean, like, I'm just trying to give you a context of, like, the one-pound broom that I could barely lift over my shoulder when I was bench pressing 225 pounds. So just think about it. I could barely do this, okay? And then I remember I had to put my back, my butt, my head right up against the wall and keep my elbows against the wall and come like this. And I I could barely do it. I was supposed to do it for, like, three minutes solid. I'm like, ah, I was going like this. Okay, but what, what happened as I continued and I was consistent to exercise my rotator cuff, I started to heal and I started to build back muscle and I got eventually to a place where I was benching 225 and I was able to throw the football again. Well, offenses are like wounds, are, are like when you get wounded, okay? You don't get over them immediately. There is no silver bullet where you're just like, Oh, well, you know, everything's okay. That's why when people think Christianity is just like painting everything with a, you know, a a rose-colored paintbrush, that's not true. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to let things go when people maliciously attack you and slander you and lie about you and make accusations about you, especially that are personal towards your family. How can you possibly do that? You have to work alongside the Holy Spirit and exercise that forgiveness. So when you pray, again, I could barely lift that one pound broom and put it over my head like this. When you pray, Okay, you might be praying for your wife, praying for your house, praying for your church. And then when that one guy that was a total jerk face to you and said something that he shouldn't have said that really hurt you, when you're praying, you got to say, God, forgive him in Jesus' name. And that's all you can do. And that's okay.
You don't have to have some pious religious prayer. You just have to be able to exercise yourself to even utter his name and ask God to bless him. And it's going to feel, right? It's going to feel like you can barely do it when you know it's like the most pitiful and broken one pound prayer that you can utter. But guess what? The next day, maybe you get out another word. God, bless him if you can and help his family to prosper. God, forgive him, bless him, help his family to prosper, open new doors of opportunity. And every day you're growing. And what I was able to do, maybe I could only do it five times. I was getting to the place where I could do it 35 times. And then I knew, you know, I'm healed on this. I don't have to do this anymore. And then I'm doing this, okay? And I got this full range of motion. Now I'm ready to put on some 25 pound dumbbells. Let's see if I can do 25. Struggle, but I'm doing them. And then I'm moving on all the way to 225, which isn't a shoulder press. I cannot shoulder press 225, but a bench press 225. I just want to be legit because somebody's going to call me out on that. Okay. But I worked myself up and that's what we do with our muscles because when we get offended, it's a wound and wounds take time to heal. Sometimes somebody can say something to you and you just move on. You're able to, you know what, I forgive you. It's not a big deal. I let it go. But other ones like cut to the core of who you are and it takes time. But if you ignore it and you compartmentalize it, it's going to fester. And it's going to pervert the way that you see your brothers and sisters and ultimately pervert the way that you see God and your love will grow cold. So you have to exercise that forgiveness. And that looks like every single day just forgiving them. And then you get to a place where you're fully free. And then you see them and it doesn't bother you anymore when you see them coming at you in Target and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm looking for the way that I can avoid them. You're like, hey, man, how's it going? You can see them because they no longer have power over you, which should tell you that when you hold offense, you're truly the one that's in prison because you're the one that has to avoid at all costs that other person because of the way that you feel and you know that it's wrong. So when you exercise forgiveness, you are the one that is set free. And that individual and that circumstance no longer has power over you. See, big idea, big takeaway from this teaching. We cannot hold on to bitterness and God at the same time. You can't. If you pick up bitterness, then you drift away from God. And so I don't know about you, but I want to be as close to God as I can because God holds my future, because God knows my worth, because God cares for me and loves me, is going to shower me with wisdom and provision and make sure my feet are set on a solid path. So I'm going to do everything within my power to get closer to God. And I have to have the discernment to recognize that bitterness holding on to an offense is going to take me down the wrong path. Regardless of how much it hurts and regardless of how justified I feel in the midst of holding my offense when I've been genuinely mistreated, ultimately, I'm the one who's hurting by holding on to it. And so therefore, I have to exercise forgiveness, letting go of the offense, not condoning it, but setting myself free so that I can run close with God. I had one more story to share, but I'm not going to share it. 
So I'm gonna close with this. I don't know where you're at in your journey of forgiveness. I may have shared some of these scriptures and principles and you may have the Holy Spirit highlighted that one person that is unforgivable. And perhaps that wound is actually still fresh. Maybe it happened this week. Maybe it happened last week. And you actually need time to process this. And I just, you know, you've been holding on to bitterness for a long time and God is asking you, this is the big idea. God is asking you to let it go. And you have to exercise that forgiveness. And it may just be a 15 second prayer. Just like all I could do was, I couldn't bench, I couldn't bench press 100 pounds, 25 pounds. All I could do is take that broom that weighed one pound and barely get it over my shoulder. But I was consistent and I kept doing it. And I got to a place where I regained, I healed and I regained my strength. And the same is true of forgiveness. I'm not trying to minimize the damage that's been done as a result of this offense. I'm just trying to tell you that you have a choice. You can stay in the midst of that brokenness, ultimately leading to bitterness and your love growing cold, or you can fight back with forgiveness, setting yourself free. And so I want to pray over each and every single one of you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people that are listening, that are watching this. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has highlighted something specific, somebody specific, a word that was spoken, something that an encounter at work. And I just pray that you would give them the faith to be able to exercise forgiveness towards that individual, towards that organization. Um, each and every single day that you would multiply your grace into their life, taking them beyond their natural ability, giving them the love and compassion that you have for that individual in your heart, that they would be able to see that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It isn't even the individual that harmed them. It's a, it's a principality, it's the ruler behind them, and that they would be able to exercise that forgiveness, bringing them to a place of healing and health. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are so worthy and we thank you and we will never get over the fact that when we were in our lowest moment, the, the dirtiest of dirt, you looked down on us and forgave us. And so, Father, we remember that sacrifice. We remember that act of obedience. And as a result, we follow in your footsteps, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And we offer freely forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. I almost like <laughs> It's a heavy subject because honestly, I'm thinking about an encounter that recent that didn't recently. It was going on for years. I'm I'm ashamed to say um, that I it was years ago that I carried in my heart, and I got to the place where it was it was affecting a lot of the people that were around me. I wasn't even myself. That was out of the mouth of my wife because this offense was tainting me. It was making me bitter. I was jealous. Uh, I, I was angry, I, I was bitter. And so I realized that I was holding this offense and I let it go and I'm telling you, I, I was bawling like a, like a baby. And I'm telling you, a guy ugly crying is worse than a girl ugly crying. But it was so freeing and liberating when I let that person go. And they didn't even have a clue. They had no clue, but it was for me. And I was set free and I could finally see things the way that they were. And I want that for each and every single one of you. And God wants that for you. So until next time, we're going to jump back into forgiveness. There's so much more to dive into with this particular subject. So I hope you join us next week. Until then, Godspeed.
Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.